Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 183 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, January 19th, 2020. I'm back. Uh, this is Sam Klein. Who's, who's the voice? I don't recognize this person. Who is He's on the some podcast guy right now? Someone, someone sent me a package from Bangkok. Um, I thought what it was, was, in? I thought it was it. weird. Yeah, I didn't open it, but apparently... The, I would throw the that FDA. away. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Welcome home, so, Sam. Sorry, I've been away for so long. It's been I I've I've downloaded and listened to all the episodes in between that I wasn't on. We had the one episode that I told I thought I told Jason that I wasn't going to be able to call in at two a.m., but he he soldiered on in spite of that. Anyway, uh, the trip was great. I'm back in one piece. I'm actually even back in class since we last spoke. So I am home in Durham. Before we get to Ugh, all of the news from the week. Let me bring in, of course, my usual colleagues in Atlanta, Georgia, Jason Evans. Jason, hello. I miss you. Nice to nice Aww. to see, hear from you again. Yes, yes. Good to hear from you, Sam. We we did we did soldier on without you. I swear, if you go back and look at our messages um, <laughs> to each other, it, it appeared you were going to be on that podcast where Donald and I thought you were lost in Bangkok. Uh, we, we really thought you were going to be there, man. But, but and yet, I'm glad you had and yet, you had a great trip, right? I did. I did. I had a great trip there. I ate a lot of uh, I ate a lot of food. I saw a lot of temples, and I got into no trouble that prevented me from crossing the border back into the United States. So always, I, always so that's winning combo. Yeah, I'll admit that sounds good, but I'm kind of bummed. I think it would have been a better story. <laughs> no, <Nah>, I I <laughs> I would three, I would prefer if there been three days in a Bangkok prison, it would have been a better story. I would have preferred I would I would prefer to have it be exactly as it as it turned out. Donald Wine is also here. He lives in Washington, D.C. Donald, hello. Hello, Sam. Welcome back. Uh, as Jason said, we missed you. We, we're glad that you were able to get some uh, recording in while you were in Vietnam, uh, adding yeah, to our like list that? of countries and to our list of countries that this podcast has recorded from. I did. Can you tell that when I that when I did those, it was like at the end of a night where we'd had many Vietnamese beers? Oh, was yes. that, oh, you were was that you evident? Were very subdued. You were very subdued. <laughs> well, I also had to keep it down because everyone else in my in my condo was asleep. Uh, they they all went to bed, and I said, "Oh, shoot! I still have to I still have to record my thoughts about the Duke basketball team on the other side of the world." So I <laughs> so I did that. You but did you did a anyway, fine job. Thank you, thank you. I hey, will. I'll let the listeners time for our, on that. Time for our thoughts about the current Duke basketball team on this side of the yes, world. Yes, unfortunately, it had a unfortunately. Bad week. So I. <laughs> So while I was gone, while I was gone, the Duke basketball team was excellent. They were beating the crap out of everybody in their way. And then I returned and Duke promptly started losing games and they haven't stopped. So two losses this week, unfortunately. We will talk about both of them before we do. Of course, we have to mention that this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentlemen of Bird Campbell, PA. Bird Campbell means business. However, on, was it Wednesday night? Tuesday night? Tuesday. Tuesday night. Duke Duke went to Clemson following Clemson's uh, enormous victory at Chapel Hill for their first time ever. Congratulations to them. Duke went to Clemson and beat and lost, excuse me, lost to the Tigers 79 to 72. And then they returned home this weekend uh, to lose to Louisville 79 to 73. Similar scores, uh, different outcomes. I want to take these games separately because I think that there are different things that we can take away from each of them. Donald, I'll start with you. What was your impression of the Duke team that we saw 
at, at Clemson on Tuesday night. So last week on the podcast, I mentioned that the one thing that I needed to see out of this team at Little John was energy. And we didn't have energy in the first 20 minutes of the game. And Clemson had all of it. And for a team and a school and a fan base that was just recovering from their loss the night before in the football national championship, those guys were ready to play on Tuesday night. Their fans were ready to you know, bring the house down. And we did not match that energy. Uh, I think that led to a lot of things. Every, you know, the momentum swings, anytime we were trying to catch up that, you know, that energy that they would bring on the offense and defensive front was something that we just couldn't handle. And we quite frankly, weren't prepared to handle. Uh, And that is why I think that was the main reason. I think a lot of these things fell apart. You know, our shooting wasn't great. Our defense wasn't great. But it really, it was about, for me, the energy wasn't there in, in, in a way that has been on the road for us before. So we'll start with that. Jason, I know you have other thoughts, but I, I think the energy kind of leads into a lot of, of, the, of the other issues that we saw on the court Tuesday night. So I want to, first, I'm going to apologize to folks because I'm going to give you some numbers in just a moment. I think there are some numbers that really indicate what happened in this game for Duke. But I want to start by saying this. It is really hard to put a basketball through a basket. It's hard to score. It's one of the harder things to do in sports. That's just a fact. And when you get chances to score in an easy kind of way, you must take advantage of it. Free throws, unguarded layups, offensive rebounds right around the basket. These are the ways to score that are easier than almost every other way to score. You've got to have those if you want to win, unless you're a team that happens to shoot out of your mind from the perimeter, which happens sometimes. But just in general, got to hit your free throws. You got to get those, you know, get those layups and make them. And you got to get offensive rebounds. And the Clemson game was a game where Duke missed their free throws. They missed wide open layups and they did not offensive rebound at all. And that was what was so freaky about this. Like we didn't get any easy baskets around uh, buckets around the basket because we did an offensive rebound. We grabbed only 12.5% of available offensive rebounds. 12.5%. This is a Duke team that averages 37% offensive rebounds. Our worst offensive rebounding game of the year prior to the Clemson game was against Georgia Tech, where we offensive rebounded 23% of our baskets. So if you take our worst offensive rebounding game of the year and cut that in half, that's when you get to our game against Clemson. This was an outlier in terms of offensive rebounding, and that meant that Duke just really struggled to score. Let me flip the switch to the other side of the ball because I think the story of this week more than anything else was Duke's defense or lack of defense. So against Clemson, we gave up 107.5 points per possession. And people who are into advanced analytics, they really pay attention to PPP, points per possession. 107.5 points per possession. I want to give you a comparison on that. Against Stephen F. Austin, we gave up 101 points per possession. Generally, this Duke team is in the mid-80s on points per possession. This game was far and away, the Clemson game, far and away the worst game we've had all year in terms of points per possession, in terms of points we gave up to the other team. There has not been a single team all year that shot better than 61% on two-point shots against Duke. Clemson hit 65% of their two-pointers. They also were hitting three-pointers. 
their effective field goal percentage against us was uh, like 10 points higher than any team has had all season. It was far and away our worst defensive game of the year, and it's not even close. I mean, it's not a surprise that Duke lost this game from that standpoint. I got more to say, but uh, Sam, go ahead. What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I, I think that you hit on a lot of what I was going to talk about. The The defense was the was the most concerning part of this game, particularly because as we've progressed, the the rotation is sort of coming into a little bit more, um, like it's a little bit more clear who the who the most relied on players are. And you all, in the time that I was gone, talked a lot about the emergence of Jordan Goldwire and, and how effective he's been. And now that he's playing most of the game every night, he and, and Trey Jones are getting a ton of minutes and it didn't seem like it helped against Clemson. That's the that's the part that was so frustrating is that I I thought that Duke had settled on what seemed like a rotation. Obviously, in this game, Wendell Moore still out and Joey Baker was out. He he was back against Louisville. But that even in this game where it feels like Duke's best defensive players are out there a lot, it still wasn't enough to to stop Clemson from getting, as you said, points in in a lot of different ways. That that's what. That's what I was concerned about, and then I'll come back to that when wait, wait, we talk I, about the Louisville. Hold on, game. I want to I want to be really quick. You said Duke's best defensive players. One of the things that's happening to this Duke team is that one of our best defensive players, Wendell Moore, is not playing. I think there is. Right. Uh, we did not realize how much we would miss Wendell Moore. It is Duke has now played four games without Wendell Moore. Um, we 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 beat the pants out of Wake Forest, who's a team that's just overmatched by by Duke. But the Georgia Tech game, we struggled. And we were not great on defense. And the, both the games this week, both these games this week were two of our worst defensive. The Clemson game is our worst defensive game of the year. I think the Louisville game is our second, maybe third worst defensive game of the year. I think it's no coincidence that we are missing Wendell Moore a lot. But uh, so, uh, Donald, uh, talk about those missed layups because we talked about that earlier. Yeah, I mean, and what a the note hell on, was a, going on there? Oh my god! A note on Wendell Moore. <laughs> it seems like he hinted from his Instagram that he may be back fairly soon we obviously will wait and see when that is going to be i wouldn't expect him this week but you're right we definitely missed him on uh, on defense and really on offense but the frustrating thing for me the, the concerning thing you guys are right that's the defense but the frustrating part for me was the missed layups because every single time we blew one it was at a point in the game where we were about to mount a run and that layup would have helped us get within five within three within one and really just you know keep that momentum going in our direction. The blown layups almost, it, it felt like I counted like 12 of them were on the other end of the court. It led to points for Clemson. And those are backbreakers. When you miss something so close at the other end of the, of the floor and then go straight back down and you hear this, the defense that wasn't, you know, on point this week, letting in another basket, that's a, you know, four to five point swing. And, and those are, that's how momentum is crushed. And, and we had a lot of those against Clemson. I will say also with this rotation on defense, I mentioned before this week, if Jack White had a good week, then we were going to go 2-0 and because of his ability to be able to defend on the perimeter and on the inside. Yep. He didn't have a good week. I'm not saying nope. that he's the reason why we went 0-2 this week, but him being out there and not being as effective meant that we were missing Window more even more than we have been over the last few games. All right, Jason, why don't you wrap up the this discussion on the Clemson game and then we'll move to the Louisville game from over the weekend. So I just wanted to really quickly, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we, we get on um, 
we get on Roy Williams for throwing his team under the bus. And, and look, our job here is to talk about the Duke basketball team. But I, I, I think it would be remiss for us not to give credit where credit is due. I thought Clemson had a great game. Um, I thought Tevin Mack and Amir Sims were absolutely incredible. We talked a lot about Sims in the pregame. We know he's their best player. Uh, but for Tevin Mack, who's really he's really a guard, but they but they play him like as their power forward. And those two guys just destroyed us down the stretch in in what was a, a reasonably close game. I mean, we, we had we had, you know, there was a point in that game in the second half where where I was looking at our momentum and what the score was, and I was like, Duke's going to blow these guys out, and we're going to look back on this game, and we're not going to think it was a close game. And that was right around the moment that uh, that Mac and Sims took over the game. In the final 10 minutes, Mac had 8.7 rebounds, a steal and a block, and Sims had 13 points and five rebounds. They owned us. They just took over when it was a really, really close game. And, and I just wanted to take a second and give them full credit for it. Clemson played like they wanted to win this game. And Duke played like we were all suffering from the flu bug. And um, and and Clemson deserved absolutely deserved that victory. And I thought this is going to be a great transition for you, Sam. I thought that we would learn from what happened and not allow ourselves to come out flat again. And I was wrong. <laughs> So let's then fast forward to Saturday. Duke had Louisville in Cameron. It was college game day. So the fans were all in Cameron very early for that and then left and returned again for this game that, Jason, I think you teed it up perfectly. I thought Duke was going to come out really focused, really strong with the crowd behind them. And the first 10 minutes of the game against Louisville proved ultimately to be perhaps even too much Duke was able to to come back and tie the game late but the story of the game I think was was in that first 10 minutes Duke was down by a ton to Louisville who was able to strip the ball out in basically every way they were getting all the rebounds and scoring a ton of transition points I will uh, send it back to you Jason to start what do you think was Duke's biggest problem against Louisville especially early in the game where where it felt like they, you know, there were eight Louisville players on the court and only and only three Blue Devils. Uh, I will say that the smartest basketball person I know summed up this game perfectly, and that person is Mike Shashevsky. He's the head coach of the Duke Blue Devils, and he came into his post game press conference, and he said, "I think that this game was the preliminary match for the McGregor fight tonight." He said it was a brutal game. He said it was the most physical game that Duke has been involved in in years. The term, this is Coach K's words, the term freedom of movement was not alive and well tonight. And he said, I hope we don't have to play the rest of the conference games like that. That is not good basketball. He said this was like an early 90s Pistons-Bulls game. You could see him in the press conference shaking his head. He ain't lying. Uh, yeah. that's, a, that's, a reference, that's a reference that I get because I've read about it. Yeah, he was shaking his head. He was shrugging his shoulders. You could see him really frustrated, really angry about the way the game was called. And and I want to be clear. Coach K also, he said, look, I'm not a sour grapes guy. I, I want to give them credit. Louisville could have figured out other ways to beat us other than denying freedom of movement and being really physical. He said, I'm not saying that's an excuse. He said, I'm just explaining what happened. And he actually expressly said, I will never, ever, ever throw my kids under the bus. And I think I heard him say, 
hey Roy, how's it going? <laughs> when he Basically. said that. <laughs> Maybe. But he also he yeah. also specifically mentioned he's like, you guys see me every time we lose. The one of the first things I do is congratulate the other team because yes. they deserve that credit and I'll never throw my players under the bus. And it was a just just a cannon sent eight miles down the road. That's yeah. what that was. But but I, but I want to be clear. He also, like I said, the thing about this game that mattered was I thought the freedom of movement stuff was visible on the court. I would watch Duke guys making cuts, and you'd see them bouncing around like ping pongs. Like they couldn't go anywhere. Trey Jones would try to take his little 8, 12-foot jumpers that are an absolute staple of his game. And you could see him being jostled on every dribble. dribble. Guys are being held. Guys are being pushed. Vernon Carey, in the first half especially, kept getting the ball further and further from the post. Louisville was just pushing him around. And a lot of it is because Louisville is a lot older. Coach K, in this press conference, he talked about how much older they are. Every single guy for Louisville who averages more than 20 minutes per game is a junior or a senior. Duke's top four guys, our four guys who play the most for us, are three freshmen and, and Trey, a sophomore. I mean, it's not surprising, given all that, that that Louisville, you know, if the refs are going to allow you to be physical and Louisville's playing, you know, men against our, not boys, but young men, uh, it's not surprising that this was a game where Louisville was able to get what they wanted. And by the way, we talked about them getting out to that big lead. Do you know how they get out to that big lead? 22 of Louisville's first 25 points were scored in the paint. Louisville was going to the basket. They were out physicaling us, and we just couldn't come back. I could talk although, also endlessly about David Johnson. Those, you guys talk about David uh, Johnson. Go ahead. Well, I was <laughs> going to say that a lot of those points were also were were predominantly off turnovers. So yes, they were in yes. the paint, but they were yes. mostly the result of of Louisville just getting the ball in transition. Was left, you know, back flat footed and not able to recover. I thought that the 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 biggest indictment for Duke in this game was that they were unable to not just get the ball to where they wanted to as you mentioned you know a big part of that was the freedom of movement but then when the ball did turn over Duke guys they were, were not moving yeah. back down the other other way and and Louisville was able to jump out in transition with not just one or two but three or four guys consistently and were able to just barrel right over the one or two Duke defenders that were able to come back but I want to go to Donald now as Jason sort of teed it up to talk about Louisville's players and some of the outstanding performances that we saw, particularly from David Johnson. Yeah, David Johnson was, you know, one of those guys that he came in, he was ready to play. One of those guys that, you know, Louisville doesn't really rely on. We talked about the head of the snake, and that was Jordan Wara. And he didn't have a great game. He, he went, you know, three for 12. And I think it took till the second half before he scored his first point. He ended up with six. But everyone around him, was really going strong. And and I want to touch a bit, that physicality, the, the way that they were playing led to us shooting abysmally from the floor. We shot 37% as a team from two and three. I mean, usually that's something where you're like, oh, if you shoot three point three thirty seven percent that's not bad. But field goal percentage, we're normally at or above 50% as a team. We shot 37%. Those missed, those missed uh, shots, those missed layups, everything that they were doing physically to get us to force bad shots and not make them is really how they were able to take uh, a lot of transition buckets. It, it, they were faster than us. They were you know, beating us to balls. Uh, when they get rebounds, they were going out quickly. And Louisville really came with a game plan and executed it 
brilliantly in Cameron. That's not something we've seen that physicality from them before. Uh, last year during the 23-point comeback, they played this exact same game, except this time they finished the job. So I will send it to Jason then for uh, the last word on this Louisville game because I would like to kind of sum up what we've seen this week from Duke and maybe offer some suggestions about how or about how we expect this team to grow and improve uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah, so earlier I talked about points per possession against Clemson, and I pointed out it was our worst game of the year. We end up in this game against Louisville giving up 102 points per possession. It's our second worst game of the year. And one hallmark of this Duke team is that we typically force teams to shoot poorly from the outside. That's one of the things that we're among the best at in the nation is opponents' three-point field goal percentage. And here Louisville, we talked about how they got into the paint so much against us and how they scored all those all those points from the inside. Well, they also hit 50% of their threes. Easily the best that any team playing Duke has done this year. And it came only days after Clemson hit 42% of their threes. This was, all in all, a really bad week for our defense. You know, coming into this week, all season long, Duke has been like the number two, number three defensive team in the country, according to Ken Pomeroy. And if you look at Pomeroy's rankings right now, today, we're currently number nine on defense. And that's still great. Look, if you tell me, hey, you got a top 10 defense, I'm not going to complain about it. But it shows you how bad this week was that we were, I think we were like three or four at the start of this week, that we went from like three or four to number nine. Um, we're missing, I said it earlier, we're missing Wendell Moore. And I'm, I'm looking forward to him coming back in a big way. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentlemen of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Florida and in Texas. For all of your business legal needs, contact Bird Campbell at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business. So let's then talk a bit looking forward about what exactly we want to see from Duke following these two losses obviously has gone wrong this week with this Duke team they got Joey Baker back over the weekend which should have helped (laughs) perhaps more than it did Wendell Moore by as Donald mentioned by his Instagram account hopefully is coming back soon but Duke's got a game against Miami this week we've already seen the Hurricanes once this year, and Duke was able to to handle them actually fairly easily a couple weeks ago down in Coral Gables. So I want to talk a bit about what you want to see from the Duke team moving forward to sort of correct the wrongs from this week. Donald, I'll start that conversation with you. So and especially this week against Miami, you mentioned we have seen them just a couple weeks ago. We We absolutely bullied them on all sides of the ball in that game. It was a 30-point blowout, and it was probably not – that close. They did that because they were physical on the ball. They took the, the best players out of the game for Miami. Uh, you know, Lyles was had a terrible game, and even the other guys were really inconsistent on the ball. And that's because of our defense. And really, it goes back to the basics that we've had of our defense is forcing them into, into taking bad shots, you know, limiting the amount of possessions that they have in the form of rebounding and getting out in the court and making it so that they're frustrated the entire game. We haven't seen that this past week, and hopefully we can get back on track 
because we, like you mentioned, we only have one game this week. We can put all our, our resources and our efforts into beating Miami in Cameron, getting back that, that, that momentum that we've had on defense so far and hope that carries into the rest of the ACC season. I, I think in the end of the, at the end of the day, the defense is going to be what really sparks us, but honestly getting inside, getting Vernon Carey active again, making sure that we're making the, the, Possessions, the, the shots that we take that are very high, high efficiency layups, uh, you know, those close range shots in mid knocking down free throws. Those are all going to be things I'm looking for this week when we play Miami. I think that Vernon Carey is one of the keys here because he, as as well as he's played this season, I thought that this week he didn't he wasn't playing up to the to the level I think that we've come to expect from him not being able to to get the ball in the right places and and to to get easy baskets I want to see that uh, I want to see the the best version of Vernon Carey come back I want to see the potential national player of the year that we had seen early in the ACC season from him return and be be as effective on offense as as we know he can be because we've seen that already Jason what what are you looking for um, from from this team going forward? I, I want to caution people that I don't think we're going to see as easy a win as we had last game. And I don't want that to be the measuring stick for this team. But I, I, I talked about it this whole podcast up until now. I want to see Duke getting back to being the defensive team that we've been in the past. I want to see us get uh, – look, uh, we beat Miami on the offensive boards last time. I want to see us get back to being a great offensive rebounding team. Um, the things that made Duke – you know, in, in late December, early January, look like the best team in the land. And let's be clear. Everyone said we were number one. We were the best team in the country. Were our offensive rebounding and our defense. I want to see us get back to doing those things really, really well against Miami. And, and also, I want to give everyone a little quick note of caution. Guys, can you recall a January where Duke didn't struggle at some point in January, where we didn't, you know, at some point go, oh my gosh, things look like the wheels are coming off. I mean, like it never happens. It It never happens. It happens every every year. year. We run into something, whether it be a a bad output or, you know, somebody gets hurt. That's, that's key. It's almost like you can set your watch by it every single January. In January of 2015, Duke kicked Rashid Suleiman off the team. Yeah. yeah, and then they won, oh. and then they won the national championship. Right. Hey, look, I, I I did a little digging. I did a little looking. In 2016, in January, we lost to Clemson, Notre Dame, Syracuse, and Miami four times in five games. Do y'all remember that? It was mm-hmm. horrible. In 2017, we lost three out of four games to Florida State, Louisville, and NC State. 2018 wasn't terrible. We lost to NC State in January, and we had a loss to Virginia, but that's not a big deal. 2018 wasn't that bad. 2019, remember last year? We had the the buzzer beater against Florida State, and the very next game we played Syracuse, and we lost. I mean, this was At a Cameron. Yeah. Lost that game mm-hmm. in Cameron. Yes, this is a Duke team that in January, we swoon at some point. It just happens. It always happens. So it, it it's never a it's never a bad time to go go all the way back to 2010 the 2010 team that was feted in Cameron last night for the 10 year anniversary of them winning the championship. Do you guys remember that game in 2010 when they lost by 30 at Georgetown in yes. January? Yes. Yikes. Yeah, that didn't we happen. Got- that hasn't that hasn't happened yet this month. And guess what? That team rallied and won the national championship. Yeah, there's a lot of things that that happened in January. 
And, I mean, look, e- even in that run, the, the the four years that Jason mentioned, we won a national championship. Two of those teams got to the Elite Eight, and two of those teams won ACC championships. There's still a lot yeah. of basketball left to be played. And even with all this, as, as low as this week was, we're still in third place. We're only a game out. Like, of course, we're going to need Louisville to stumble along the way. But really, this team is 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 trying to build towards March. We've talked about it all season that this was going to be a team that we were going to experience some growing pains. And we haven't seen even the ones that we predicted yet. So the, the sky is not falling. Let's say that. No, definitely not. And, and growing pains. I mean, like I said earlier, the four guys who play the most minutes for this Duke team are freshmen and sophomores, three freshmen and Trey Jones. I mean, let's be clear. This is a team that has room to grow. And and this week is important, A, because you want to see us get back on track against Miami. But B, because after that Miami game, there's a break. It's the last one of the season. It's the last chance for these guys to get a full week, you know, decompress a little, um, figure out what's been going wrong, what's been going right, make the things that go right continue to go right, make the things that go wrong go away. Um, so, so I think it's, it's kind of crazy to say, oh, we have one game against a lower tier ACC team that we've already beaten by 30 points. It's a big week. I think it's a big week for those reasons. With that, then we will move on to our standard player of the week discussion, which Obviously, won't be as fun this week because there aren't wins to discuss in the context of player of the week. Jason, I'll let you go first. Give me a player of the week for Duke's two losses against Clemson and Louisville. I thought it was absolutely Cassius Stanley. Um, Coach K talked about fighting and um, and how how physical and difficult both the games were this week. I thought Cassius Stanley had a lot of fight in him. He hit a lot of big shots. Um, you know, this is a guy who uh, ran into some troubles. Um, in in December, in terms of his output, uh, in terms of uh, injury and stuff like that, and and his his game fell off a little bit. Boy, he has really really stepped up, and uh, he was clearly our best player against Louisville. Um, and uh, even though he he struggled shooting from the perimeter, you know, from outside, uh, but uh, it, you know, he's a dude who who plays fearlessly plays hard all the time and as much as i've talked about duke's youth you know i've also talked in the past about the fact that cassius stanley is old for a freshman um i think i i suspect he's he's one of the leaders on this team that we don't hear a lot about um so he's my player of the week this week cassius stanley all right donald who you got I'm also going with Cassius Stanley. Uh, you know, the word energy is something I've used a lot this podcast, but it also describes what he brought to the floor this week in both games. And, and you know, there were times where we needed a spark. He was the engine. He was the guy that got us going. Uh, even even though we fell short, and like you said, he shot a little bit. Uh, he had a difficult week from the perimeter. His dunks, his his driving to the lane, and him. His, be, his ability to create and finish uh, has been things that we really needed this week. We needed a lot more of Cassius Stanley's. Uh, we needed a few more Cassius Stanley's on the floor this week, but he was my player of the week. He, he did extremely well. Yeah, I, I also had Cassius Stanley written as my player of the week, and honestly, I would love to pick somebody else, but I don't know who else there is to really highlight. I, I want Trey Jones to to turn back into the defensive monster that he was. I want the same for... Jordan Goldwire. I want the senior captains in Jack White and Javin Delorier to bring more than just energy. I want them to bring production off the bench. And and we're just not seeing that. Even Vernon Carey this week 
didn't have a week as, as I was talking about earlier, didn't have a week that measured up to some of his best games from this season. So I think there are a lot of guys who I would like to see more production out of, but from this week, it was clearly Cassius Stanley. Let's do parting shots, and I'll start with Jason on the on the parting shot realm. Jason, what you got for us this week? So I've been listening a lot to different people who vote in polls and put out rankings and things like that, talking about Gonzaga. Um, and 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 look, I want to be clear. I'm not talking. I'm not saying that Duke should be number one. I'm not saying that anybody should be number one other than Gonzaga. I've got I've got no problem at the moment with Gonzaga as the number one team in the nation. But uh, a lot of the and I'm, I listen to the to the CBS Sportsline podcast a, a good bit on college basketball and Gary Parish on there keeps on saying he cannot and will not punish Gonzaga for playing in the West Coast Conference that they play the West Coast Conference schedule and he is not going to move Gonzaga off the number one line until they lose because it's not their fault that they're playing a weak West Coast Conference schedule and I just wanted to say Gary that's stupid that's one of the silliest arguments I've ever heard because it's entirely possible for Gonzaga to keep on winning basketball games, but not be the number one team in the land, not be the best team in the country. They could win basketball games in a unimpressive fashion. They could, they could win basketball games because they're playing really, really bad teams in the West Coast Conference. I think that if you are someone whose job it is, or at least a portion of your job, is to evaluate the, the scope of college basketball, you need to look at how is everyone performing right now? What is their complete body of work? And for, for you to say, I'm not going to move a team until they lose, is just, it's blind. And it, it, it's ignoring the results on the floor. And let me say something that sounds crazy. Let's say the Milwaukee Bucks were suddenly in the NCAA. Let's say we suddenly plopped them down in the NCAA. Gary, would you then refuse to move Gonzaga off the number one line because they hadn't lost to a West Coast Conference team? Because, hey, I got news for you. Milwaukee's way better than Gonzaga. Um, and one last thing about all that. Uh, I get sick of these teams from bad conferences who get a pass on playing in a bad conference. Gonzaga gets to win games when they play bad teams. When they play a bad game, they get to win. There are teams in the West Coast Conference that will not beat Gonzaga no matter what, if, even if Gonzaga is playing poorly. If Duke plays poorly, Duke loses to Clemson. So there's a huge difference in being in a power conference and being in a smaller conference. And I just keep on hearing these folks talk about some of these teams, San Diego State, Gonzaga, and they go, oh, you know, hey, they're doing the best they can against their schedule. Yes, they are. That's fine. But we need to look at the full body of what teams are doing and who they're playing against when we evaluate who the best teams in the land are. I think that the argument for, I think the argument for keeping Gonzaga high goals is that they already played a tough schedule. They, they've played a schedule, I think, to this yeah. point that is, if it's not, if it's not definitely better than Duke's, it, it's at least as good as Duke's schedule so far. So they're still reaping the benefit of of scheduling aggressively, playing good teams. Uh, I think they, you know, one of the teams they played was UNC, who I'm sure they thought was going to be good, but unfortunately for them, is not. So uh, I, I think really more I, the point that he's I, making I, is that hang on. is that I, the, I, the, yeah. I, I, I want to point out something. Um, Gonzaga has not played anywhere close to as good a schedule as Duke. What Gonzaga has done is they've played a few very, very good teams, and full credit to them for playing those teams. They played in a tough tournament over Thanksgiving. They've, they've played other top-tier teams, and, and they should because they play in the lousy West Coast Conference, and there just aren't that many 
um, good opponents for them to play during conference play. But like, if you look at Kem Pomeroy's strength of schedule, Gonzaga has the 202nd best strength of schedule. Oh yeah, I, I am seeing that now. I I was speaking out of turn. <laughs> my bad. 202. Duke is 34. And and look at non-conference schedule. Hey, I mean, look, we, we can talk about Gonzaga has played some good teams. They played some terrible teams in their non-conference. Gonzaga's non-conference strength of schedule is 239. So, and and look, I'm saying all this at a time when the ACC is down. Look, if I was saying this and, and Duke was in the Big Ten or the Big 12, it would be a very different story. I mean, the Big Ten and the Big 12, you could literally, the, the last place team in the Big Ten and the Big 12, well, maybe not the last place team, but close to the last not place cool. team. Not quite. Yeah. Not quite. But anyway, teams Rutgers, at the bottom. Rutgers might, make, Rut, Rutgers might make the NCAA tournament this year. Penn State. Rutgers so, and Penn State. Yeah. Yeah. Rutgers and Penn State both probably making the tournament this year. But, and, the ACC, and the ACC is awful this year. The ACC is, is having its worst season in more than a decade. But it's still miles better than the West Coast Conference. And my only point in all this was you can't simply say I'm not going to move the team because they don't lose. That doesn't make any sense. You need to look at what other teams are doing, how other teams are playing, and then decide, okay, these guys are still number one. Uh, that that was my only point in all this. Sorry, we, we got off on a tangent. Yeah, I, I, it's <laughs> funny. I find uh, you know, I find that when it comes to Gonzaga, people have to sell why they keep them at a spot, whether it's one, two, three, whatever. Whereas last, I mean, before this week, we moved from two to three after destroying a couple of teams because all of a sudden people said Baylor beat Kansas, so they must be the best team in the country. And they moved up to number two ahead of us. And so yeah. I, I think for other teams in the Power Five, they will – anything can happen. Like, yeah, we'll drop them two. We'll drop them to four, whatever. For Gonzaga, they have to be like, but no, it's because they uh, have a nice coach who answers questions. So we're going to keep them number one. You can't punish them for that. It seems like they're trying to find ways to keep them at a spot and sell it as opposed to just saying, hey, maybe, yes, they're one of the best teams in the country. They're just not the best team in the country. All right, Jason. Or, Jason, that's enough out of you. Uh, Donald, <laughs> give, me your, give me your parting shot. I think yours is also basketball related. It is. Uh, yesterday, uh, I was at the Marquette Georgetown game here in Washington, D.C. I had about 50 friends uh, show up for that game. Uh, from Marquette, uh, for, cheering for Marquette. So I was sitting in what uh, amounted to be the away section. It was really cool um, watching, you know, Wojo coach. He's a very active coach, and I really enjoyed watching him, you know, sort of up close in how he marks with his players. But guys, if you have not seen Marcus Howard play, go see Marcus Howard play because he is one of the best players of the country. The guy had 42 points yesterday, and that was an off day for him. He didn't shoot well in those 42 points. So this is something where I, I really enjoyed watching that performance, but also tomorrow I'm going to be at the wizards Pistons game. Uh, unfortunately, our boy Luke Kennard is not expected to play. He's been dealing with uh, some injuries, but uh, those are two games that I watched involving, uh, involving former Duke brotherhood athletes. And uh, it's always cool to get some basketball in this town. Donald, that's awesome. Uh, glad that you were able to, enjoy some basketball from outside the ACC. I will go next and finally. So for 
I guess for folks who who aren't Durham residents or who weren't Duke students sometime in the last, I don't know how long it's been since Shooters was open, but uh, I was at uh, Shooters on on Friday night, which is a, uh, what do we call it, a club? Is it a club? Is it a bar? It's a, it's a place yes. where all the Duke students it's go a, yes. and the music is it's very loud. It's a club loud. bar. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a place where you can get where you can get three dollars and uh anyway so i was at shooters on on friday night a place i don't normally go but i was there liar. with a number liar. of my classmates and <laughs> no you know what i am i'm not a i'm not a shooters aficionado uh for better or worse i but i was in there on friday and who did i see uh but chris duhan uh oh, Duke boy. Class 2004 donald wine's class uh he was in there with some I, reggie love was in there with him uh Re- reggie love was also on that 2001 championship team so they, they were at shooters with uh with some of their friends and and of course i had to i had to go up and say hi to them so so i did uh i did not have the i did not have my recording equipment with me nor did i have my recording je ne sais quoi with me at the time so uh <laughs> we we don't have we don't have audio from from chris duhan but i did it, it sort of got me thinking i wonder what goes through a former Duke basketball player's mind, like a guy like Chris Duhon, or even maybe I, I didn't see Kyle Singler at, at shooters this week, but Kyle Singler was in town because they were celebrating the 2010 team. And he's old enough that like current Duke undergraduate students don't probably don't remember much about Kyle Singler's career, right? Cause they were, they were eight, nine, 10 years old. Like maybe they remember him, but he's, he's a player from the past. Chris Duhon is really a player from the past. I mean, he graduated, Donald, how many years ago did you graduate from Duke? Sixteen these years kids ago. Were, these kids yeah, were barely let's, alive. Let's pick on Donald for being old. Pick on Donald yeah, for yeah. being old. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing that now. I'm doing that now. <laughs> Dude, just wait till next year. We're gonna have my we're gonna have my ten year reunion podcast uh, sometime next spring. But but Chris Duhan's a guy that the Duke students don't remember anymore. So when Chris Duhan comes to shooters in 2020, does he think, yeah, people are gonna come say hi to me? Does he think? I'm just going to go relive the glory days. And and then when I come up and say hi to him, how does that affect him? Because I'm like, yeah, I'm a graduate student and I remember you. But that was still like in my childhood. I, I, I don't have a fully formulated thought about this. Just that it's interesting seeing old Duke basketball players. And, and, I, and I'm sorry for using the, 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 the term so brazenly, but old Duke basketball players. Uh, hanging out at a bar that is really reserved for for Duke students and uh, and Durham locals. I don't know, Donald. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's cool that you got to run into my boys, Chris and Reggie. Um, we we are not old. We are we are veterans. Seasoned. Is that what we're seasoned. seasoned. You were seasoned. Uh, yeah. A lot of lots of salt and pepper in our game. So. Um, oh, do you know? But how uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I go ahead, Jason. You know how painful this conversation is for a guy who graduated in '89. <laughs> we weren't even talking about I never you. Saw, you brought it I up. never saw. I never saw Mark Gallery at, at Shooters, or I haven't seen Mark Gallery yet at Shooters. But hey, Quinn, mean... Quinn Snyder, Danny Ferry, that's my year. Dan, okay, Quinn, Dan, I haven't seen Danny. Danny Ferry was here this weekend too, but he didn't he didn't come to Shooters. On, if Quinn on Snyder Friday. wasn't the coach of the Utah Jazz, he would absolutely be at Shooters. Was Quinn Snyder a big Shooters guy? He is a, apparently shooters, he is a Shooters wait, fan. Shooters did not He's, exist when I was at Duke. <laughs> not even shooters, no, but I'm talking about now. I'm not talking about back then. I'm talking about now. Oh, he's a he's, really? a, he's a big shooters guy now. He, he's anyway. I, if you come, when I was in school, he would come. Wait, when <laughs> when you come to Durham, any of you, any of you listeners or my co-hosts, but anyone, when you come to Durham, if you want a real cultural experience, if you want to know what it's like to be a Duke University student, you got to check out Shooters. But they're not oh, sponsoring the show, so we won't we won't talk any further about them. <laughs> uh, we do have 
we do have some logistics uh, to go over before we before we wrap today. If nobody else has has any has any further points, uh, so I wanted to just very quickly say uh, North Carolina has lost another basketball game. <laughs> they <laughs> lost to Pittsburgh over the weekend. I know everyone is aware that Carolina sucks this year, but I just wanted to point out that Carolina is now 121st in the net. The net is, of course, the metric that the uh, the NCAA uses for picking teams to make the NCAA tournament. Generally, if you're in the top 40 in the net, you have a really, really good chance of making the NCAA tournament. North Carolina is 121 in the net. They're just one spot behind UT Arlington, and they're one spot ahead of College of Charleston. Pittsburgh beating... Where's Stephen F. Austin? Where's Stephen F. Austin these days in the net? Uh, Higher than Carolina? Oh, oh, a lot higher than Carolina. They're like in the 70s, I think. See? need to look it up. See, it's fine. It's fine, yeah. right? Yeah. Finish your thought. A, anyway, um, I was going to say that uh, that beating North Carolina actually doesn't help you that much in the eyes of the NCAA. When Pittsburgh beat North Carolina at UNC, it, it was it was a, a quad two win. You know, the NCAA divides these things up into quadrants. Mm-hmm. Beating North Carolina in the ACC tournament on a neutral floor is a quad three win. That's just like the NCAA doesn't care about quad three wins. You are far better off scheduling UNC Greensboro, Louisiana Tech, Georgia State, San Francisco, Kent State, UC Irvine, or William & Mary. You're far better off playing a team like that than you are playing UNC in terms of your strength of schedule. I also want to point out Cole Anthony, apparently everyone says, is going to come back to UNC this week or so, and they could have a real shot at making the NIT if he comes back. It'll be tough, but they'll have a shot at it. That was a a real... That that was a real uh, a real gut punch right there at the end. Look, so very mass playing done. playing UNC twice this year might actually affect our strength of schedule to the point where when they're considering number one seeds or number two seeds, we would have to say our two our two terrible wins or whatever. We have two terrible games in UNC. They actually could screw us the other way around just by yeah. just by existing. We're we're basically Gonzaga at this point, right? I mean, that's, that's how that's what the ACC looks like. So, all right, we're done. Sadly, we're, yes, we're done with we're done with Carolina bashing for this week. We will see them live in a few weeks, and and that should be fun. I hope fun. Let's go with fun. Yes. Looking ahead at this week, Duke's got the game against Miami on Tuesday night. They're back in Cameron. We will have to recap that because then they're they're off over the weekend. But the other big thing coming this week is that Zion Williamson is finally going to play a regular season NBA game which is happening on Wednesday night against the Spurs. The Pelicans have announced that he's healthy enough. There have been, I guess, if you have been on on the basketball internet anytime in the last couple of weeks, you've seen hopefully lots of videos of Zion in practice doing all kinds of remarkable things that we know that he's capable of. But he'll be able to display those in an actual basketball game on Wednesday night. So we will get back together on Thursday to talk about the Miami game and about Zion's NBA debut because I'm sure it will be all the buzz of of basketball uh, on on that morning. So we'll we'll come back on Thursday and record again. Hopefully get that show out ahead of the weekend and be able to look a little bit more about the end of this first portion of the ACC season. Duke gets the bye and then comes back next week again. Hopefully we see Wendell Moore back in the lineup. Hopefully thing the the ship just writes for Duke and they and they coast to a to an ACC regular season championship even though there's still a bit of work to do. So, like I said, it's great to be back. I'm Sam Klein, returned from Asia all in one piece. I am here on the Duke Basketball Report with as always 
Donald Wine and Jason Evans. Of course, again, we would like to thank our sponsors, Bird Campbell PA, for being longtime partners with us here on the show. This has been episode 183 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.